What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Rance, Joe Johnsons, Ja Raps, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? I feel ready for the NCAA tournament and mentally prepared after we got the Chris Weber and I always associate it with Denzel Valentine because it happened to him, but the foul a good free throw shooter while winning by two points in the same game. Never seen that one before. And then mm-hmm. that was followed up Saturday by whatever the mess was with Kyle Filipowski trying to dunk the ball and getting fouled, but then not and not getting called, but then it should have gotten fou- called even though it happened after the buzzer and the whole you know official statement about how the refs messed it all up and misinterpreted the rules. I feel ready for the NCAA tournament after this weekend. Well, they misinterpreted the rules by not calling a foul that had happened before the buzzer went off. He got fouled before the buzzer went off. But they, the they ruled it. I thought so too, but they said that it the foul happened after, but because he was something like he because he was attempting to shoot, it still should have counted. I thought that was weird too. It looked to me like he got fouled before the buzzer went off. The 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 two minute the look back on the admit we were wrong thing is the dumbest thing in sports right now, by the way. What's the point of like like why would the NBA decide that they're just going to put their own referees on blast after every game? And why would the ACC just like, like they, the news cycle carried what happened in the ACC 24 hours longer than it would have if there wasn't any report. So I don't like, like in this space of we never do anything wrong and we'll never admit we do anything wrong. We have this mechanism, especially in the NBA where we just decided without any pressuring Right. It's why would the NBA Referees Association and the NBA want to admit that the people officiating their games were wrong? That I that I will never understand. And just as a league who doesn't want bad publicity on there, it would be like the NFL coming out with a bunch of stuff to like the NFL doesn't do this. Right. Right? I mean, now Goodell leading into the skid by saying things like his officiating crews right now are the best <laughs> they've ever been. That's not exactly spot on either. But if if I was running these leagues, I've, I'm moving on because people will move on really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And it just won't it just won't matter. Like we already have completely forgotten that maybe Buffalo should have gotten or maybe Buffalo. However, the home fields could have worked out if if the if the Bills Bengals game was actually played like right nobody remembers that at this point and for a day and a half it was or you know for a week while they were deciding mm-hmm. it was the biggest the mm-hmm. biggest story in the NFL and now nobody cares so right. people would move on really quickly but these leagues have basically put themselves on blast and made the the conversation extend longer than they'd want it to it just doesn't make any sense to me but yes the chaos of this weekend <laughs> um i'm ready and and i'm i'm also just February 15th is about the 13th is about the time that I'm just like, okay, I've seen all of these conference teams play. I'm we're just to the point where people were overreacting one way to another or another to one win. Like we haven't seen 25 games already. And I'm just ready for the tournament at the very least. I'm ready for conference tournament action, but um, I feel like my brain is, is ready to attempt to uh, take it all in uh, at this point. Yeah. There's, there's not as much kind of, opinion forming to be done at this point 
If right. you're still forming your opinions, you haven't been paying attention, right. respectfully. Right. Like, right. like unless it's like the only exception are teams, you know, like like maybe Creighton. But if you're not convinced mm-hmm. that Creighton is really really good when they're healthy, then I'm also not really sure what you've right. been watching because yeah, right. They book in their weird stretch without Ryan Kalkbrenner and a losing streak with really really good basketball, and it's right. now you know a team half a game out of first in the in the Big right. East. Which is a great, great example of, right, the narrative has been different about Creighton in terms of how the season's been going the entire season, but we're to the point where they've played enough games healthy where you go, okay, they're everybody as good as everybody thought they were going to be, you know, it just took a little while to get there. So yeah, now it's, there isn't too much more to learn other than who's going to, it's about conference title races at this point, right? And then, yeah, but you and I like to think about the, the philosophical approach to picking our brackets, which we're prepared to do at this point. So now we have to wait a little bit. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. We're very close at this point. February 13th at 8.08 in the morning. That's what we're. That's where we're at right now. I th- believe Selection Sunday is March 12th. So within a month uh, from Selection Sunday. So it's coming very, very quickly. It's a Monday, though. We'll get to some uh, around the association stuff here in a few minutes. But it's Monday. Let's start with winners and losers. Josh, who's your winner? I went with Pittsburgh. A little Pitt action? Yeah, yeah I just wanted to, get, wanted to give Pitt some love. I mean, they did what they should do against Louisville and won by 34. Beat Florida State. Fourth straight road win, by the way. And really, this is more just about them being tied with Virginia atop the ACC. And that schedule is not daunting. They end the season at Miami. That's going to be a difficult game, obviously. But before that... They got to go to Virginia Tech, which obviously is a place Virginia has already lost, and Virginia Tech, when healthy, is dangerous. That's about the only game I'm even remotely scared of for Pitt, though. They're going to make Virginia earn this conference and could very well you know, share the regular season title, even if they lose one of those two difficult road games they have left, which is just in a world where you know we've had some up and downs in the ACC, some teams just generally, right, you think – some teams have these really bad stretches where whether it's injuries, whether it's just a a bad couple of games, a bad week, Pitt just really hasn't had that. They've been so consistent, and so no, they did not beat the highest quality teams, but here they are doing what they're supposed to be doing as an ACC contender, taking care of business against the not-so-great teams in their conference, and they're right there talking about potentially winning a regular season title. So Pitt's my winner. I would be... I would be even more excited for Pitt if the team that had an easier schedule than Pitt wasn't Virginia. Because <laughs> Virginia gets to play Louisville twice, Notre Dame, Boston College, and North Carolina. And then Clemson's the last game. But like they get to play four games that I would be truly stunned if they lost. So at the worst, they're going four and two to end the regular season. The, the double we'll Louisville is, is tough yeah. for Pitt. And, and, yeah. and Notre yeah. Dame is like sneaky just as bad as Louisville. Right. Like not, right. Like not actually, but... But Notre Dame, there's nothing good about Notre Dame's team. Literally nothing. And they, they're one of the worst Power 5 defenses in the entire country. So I would be right. What what Pitt has done, being on February 13th, a team tied atop the ACC is a is is an impressive uh, thing for Jeff Capel to be to to be able to say, considering you know this is a team that 
it's been it's been a grim last five years or so, right? They're eleven and twenty one, ten and twelve, sixteen and seventeen. Like we're we're we're, we're going to get our first winning season. Ooh, this is a good one. Trivia time. <laughs> when was the last time that Pitt had a winning season? Oh, jeez. I'll say fourteen fifteen. Um, fifteen sixteen. Oh, that's close. Um, but also, uh, like Jamie Dixon probably doesn't leave for a different job if like I, I like I I have memories of that relationship kind of coming to to an end like that you know it was also a program that like 21 and 12 by Dixon standards from when he was while he was there like not not all that incredible right I mean yeah he went oh, a no, stretch were, and, oh yeah he went a stretch from 2004 to 2000 13 where they only lost double digit times twice in that entire right. stretch. So Oh yeah, they were tw- yeah, 25 and 8 something like that yeah. consistently. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The the point being that Capel finally has has found some sustained success and it's gotten even better in conference play, which is um a tricky proposition. This is a team that was 1 and 3 to uh to start the season. Mm-hmm. And now they are 18 and 7 and 11 and 13 11 and th- 11 and 3 excuse me <laughs> in in the NACC play. Yeah. I like that. Um my winner is Northwestern. Um you beat the number 1 team in the country, I'm in. But also like it's one thing to beat the number 1 team in the country, it's another another thing to beat the number 1 team in the con- in the country in a time where you could like like beating the number one team in the country was very helpful for your NCAA tournament resume. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were on the right side of things a week ago, and then you know you get you you beat Ohio State, which is a game that you should win um, if you are a tournament team at this point. And then you get a Purdue win, and we're looking at a at a resume that has zero bad losses. I mean, Ohio State at home is on January 1st is going to end up being the the worst loss probably. I mean, with the teams they have remaining, maybe Penn state at home could end up being your worst loss, but Penn state's a better team than Ohio state right now, even though Penn state's kind of in a free fall of their own. Yeah. They were, they were on the, you know, NCAA tournament hopefuls until, yeah, until they kind of fell apart here. Right. Um, but you don't have a ton of bad losses. You were still kind of looking for your good win, but now they're a team that has beaten both Indiana and Purdue uh, in this season and has uh, not very many. They have any losses that you really kind of gasp at and and only one or two that are really threatening to be bad in any way whatsoever. So um this was, you know, it's always a good week if you beat the number one team in the country, but to do it in a week where we're approaching the NCAA tournament and getting a win like that is really helpful for your, um, for, for how much you're going to sweat over the next two and a half weeks or so is, um, is very, very helpful. I appreciate Chris Collins. <laughs> this might've been the, the one thing I got right this season. <laughs> Chris Collins. The one thing. Chris Collins, Houdini himself when it comes to <laughs> avoiding being fired. Hey, patience pays off. Look at what's happening. He's going to get him back in the NCAA tournament for a second time. Yes, but like 
Like it's a Big Ten program, and you just used the word. You just used getting to the NCAA tournament <laughs> as like the definition of success. Well, when it hadn't happened in the history of the program until he got there, I feel like it's still a pretty valid bar of success. <laughs> yeah, but like two, like they went, they went eight and twenty three and nine and fifteen in back to back years, thirteen and nineteen, fifteen and seventeen. They haven't been to the tournament since twenty seventeen. It's not like yeah. it was a couple years ago. No, it's been no, it's been five years. You want to know what this is? This is one of the rare examples in college athletics of a school actually knowing who it is and being okay with that. Mm-hmm. And knowing understanding, they're probably not going to get a guy better than Chris Collins. And just understanding it's incredibly difficult to get the kind of players right. Northwestern is not going to bend its academic requirements mm-hmm. to have more success on the basketball court. Mm-hmm. And so – I mean, they it, are, but to, less to a, so than to a certain extent. But less right. though than right. It's still right. It's still Northwestern academically, and so you just got to understand it's going and inherently. I mean, right? You're competing with the likes of Indiana, Michigan, mm-hmm. Purdue, Ohio State, right? In terms of recruiting, you've got big time programs you're playing against in the Big Ten. Obviously, you're just at a lot of disadvantages, just like a program like Cal is in the Pac-12. Mm. And so Which is baffling to me who doesn't, I mean, I guess it's because you could go to UCLA and it'd be just as beautiful, but yes, <laughs> but or USC or Oregon, you know? Yeah. But just this idea of, right. There are just some programs that are set up for success better than others. And so sticking with somebody who found a way to get you there once who has found a way to be at least somewhat competitive in the big 10, right. They're never the worst team in the conference. Mm-hmm. Because you're absolutely right. And that just about – right. if you take the school away and the significance of that first NCAA tournament appearance, it just about any other high major program, he's gone. Mm-hmm. But I applaud Northwestern for not – create because that's one of my big pet peeves with evaluating coaches is just creating unrealistic expectations, right, as if the next guy is going to come in and make five straight NCAA tournaments. Mm. It's just not how it works unless you find – like But also like – he still should probably be winning at a higher level. Sure. Going to the tournament two every 10 years is not good yeah. enough at any yeah. other oh, school. They can, yeah, they could definitely be, be better. Sure. I would agree with that. It's so just Houdini within himself the... on his way back to the tournament, more than likely. <laughs> Who's your loser? Uh, Kentucky. Okay. Arkansas had one road win all season that came against South Carolina. They went into Rupp and won before Nick Smith returned. And then Kentucky went and lost to Georgia. And all of a sudden, all of this good work Kentucky did to give themselves some breathing room when it came to the bubble has been undone. And they are squarely on the bubble and probably at this moment in time, if yesterday was Selection Sunday, not making the NCAA tournament. That's really all. If that's not a loser, I don't know what is. Yeah, you know, if I was if I was doing a better job with the spirit of winners and losers this week, I probably would have picked Kentucky. Um, but when you lose on buzzer beaters to both twice in the same week to Vanderbilt and Missouri, you're kind of going to end up on my loser list. So I'm sticking in the SEC here, and right Tennessee's Tennessee's tournament hopes not exactly <laughs> not exactly in jeopardy. I mean, we could we could finish the year on a what eight game losing streak if we wanted to and probably still make the tournament. How wild would that be by the way? You just look up and Tennessee's like 
19 and 13 after being after being 19 and 18 and 3 at one point um but Tennessee also is like I like free fall is not the right word because a team that's fourth at Kempom just can't really be free falling I just feel like that fails the out loud test mm-hmm. but since February 1st they're 1 and 3 and then like they they lost a game to Missouri in which they scored 85 points which is really troubling but the three games before that they scored 57 46 and 65 points um 46 40 you could not pay me to watch them beat auburn 46 to 43 you can oh it was rough you can do it um that was uh i was watching lots of games on that day and it was kind of Mm -hmm. one that just kind of i turned to in the last two minutes and i was like oh my gosh thank the lord i wasn't watching this game because it was (laughs) there was two minutes left and the score was like 41 to 39 or something yeah i saw some of the i was switching back and forth i watched parts of the uh yeah, before it got to the two minutes, it was it was not great. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, but that's just a demoralizing week more than anything else. Like, like I like that. That's the kind of we, and it's not like it gets much easier. Like they get Kentucky on Saturday the eighteenth, but it's at Rupp Arena. Um, in the middle of the week, they get Alabama in their own building. Um, so, like, ultimately they're fine, but. Losing twice in the same week on buzzer beaters is is pretty tough, and losing another game at home is uh, you know you'd like to think that a team like Tennessee with a defense as good as Tennessee would find be able to find a way to beat Missouri at home when they score eighty five points, and they weren't able to do that. That's tough, and. <clears throat> If you if you stay within striking distance, right, you have Alabama coming into your building here. That at least makes mm-hmm. it interesting if you can win that game. That's not part of the conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. And from a seed line perspective, you know, this is the kind of week that takes you off of consideration potentially, assuming they – now, if they win the big, the SEC tournament and they finish the regular season fine, then they can still very well end up a two seed. But right now, they don't have the resume of two seed. They could play themselves back into it, but they right at the beginning of this week, they absolutely did. And so there is, yeah, it's not just the demoral. Sure, there's the demoralizing part of it. There's the concern about, right, Tennessee should win every game they play when they score 80 points. But there's also the, there are other consequences to this. And the the weight of this is going to be felt heading into the NCAA tournament as well. Agreed. That's one of the losers. Just a couple more times this season before before we get on with the dang thing and in postseason play. Okay, pressure meter time. I'll, I'll be curious to see how you how you kind of define this and the way you you went went about mm-hmm. this. We'll go around the six conferences. Um, team under the most pressure, and then kind of a, an honorable mention slash another team that might fit into the same category as that other team. However, you want to. Um, to interpret that, but pressure meter, uh, as we approach the last month of the season here, um, in each of the power six conferences, power six, major six, whatever we're calling them. We'll start with the ACC because that's the, because a is first in the alphabet. So you might as well, um, the ACC, which team is under the most pressure for you in the ACC? 
I kind of also included for some of this, I included coaches into this conversation. Interesting. Okay. So my I answer don't is have Cle- any coaches. I don't have. I, any I don't coaches. have a. I don't have a coach in particular. You'll see where I'm going with this, though. My answer is Clemson. Okay. Why? Uh, not only three straight losses and went from you know maybe winning the conference regular season title or at least trying to share it to you got to make sure you actually make the NCAA tournament. That's that's the crux of this. But outside of that, right? We talked about coming into this season, Brad Brunell. And then midway through the season, we talked about, look at the job Brad Brownell is doing for himself. He gave himself at least another year in this job with what he's doing. Is that the case if they miss the NCAA tournament or if they get into the you know first four and lose or something like that after where they were? And on top of that, there were two other coaches we put into this kind of same conversation when it came to the ACC. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about what Pitt is doing. Jeff Capel is just fine. He's trying to win an ACC regular season title, and Kevin Keats has a ranked number next to his team, or at least, mm. you know, as of last week, the most recent rankings as we're recording this because the new ones haven't come out yet. There's mm. a number next to his team. He's doing just fine, too. So it's gone from kind of Brad Belnell being arguably the biggest winner of these three to clearly in the worst position of these three. And so I just kind of put all of that together. And to me, there's no doubt that the the team in the ACC that has the most riding on the rest of the regular season is Clemson. It's really unfortunate that a team can, that a program can jump rope with the, with the safety of their head coach like that. I mean, like I get it, Mm -hmm. but, but also like, like I just, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with you. I like. Then, I don't yeah. like being a head coach in being a coach in South Carolina for a team. You know, right down the road from the North Carolinas and Dukes of the world. Like it might just it. It's got to be an impossible job. Just he, like completely and, impossible. Yeah, and honestly, and, he he probably hasn't done himself any favors because he's raised expectations. Right, and like they lost to two teams this week. One like two teams that are over forty spots ahead of them at Kempom. Both of them. Like, should you lose to Boston College? No, probably not. Like that one, we can that one we can be upset with Brad Brownell about Brownell. Excuse me. Um, but like, North Carolina is a better basketball team than Clemson on paper. Mm-hmm. They oh, just sure. are. Yeah. And Miami is a better basketball team than Clemson on paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, like you're right because now we're having this conversation about like Clemson has to like. They have some games on here that they cannot lose, especially like they get Florida State, Syracuse, and Notre Dame at home right. before the end of the regular season. And on one end of the of that, it's okay. You, they also get to play Louisville, you know, right? They they get NC State and Virginia on the road, which is kind of like house money. Like you lose those games, it's not really going to hurt you, but you grab one of those wins, and it's mm-hmm. probably going to be hard for you to not make the tournament as long as you right. don't do something silly elsewhere. And then on the other side of it is you get three chances to have another really big mistake and make your life much more difficult heading into March. Mm-hmm. And that's just unfortunate because right on January 14th, after they beat Duke by eight, it was it was all hail the Clemson Tigers. Right. I think and, I think at least one of us made them their winner, if not both. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're my honorable mention in this okay. conference. Because when you're the preseason number one team in the country and you're on the bubble, you're you have the most pressure on you. 
That, I mean, North, my honorable mention. Yeah. Okay. Um, because like North Carolina is already a historically bad number one overall, n- number one preseason team in the country for a lot of different reasons, right? They were the fastest to go from number one to, you know, they're one of the few number one teams in the preseason to actually fall outside the top 25. And they're also, you know, they did it the fastest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that they, they, it was, we weren't even to mid December by the time that North Carolina was, was out of the, you know, December 4th, they lost their fourth straight game to Virginia tech. And I think they were outside the top 25 after that loss. They might've been. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Cause they came into, they were, yeah, after Cause, the because at the Indiana game, the Indiana game was two right. top twenty-five teams. They ranked. were still ranked, right, right, yep. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but and then they lost that same week to Virginia Tech that following Sunday because that Indiana game was in the middle of the week. So yeah. that Monday, yeah. Monday that the fifth, would have been mm-hmm. where they would have been outside the yeah. top twenty-five after starting number one on November seventh, um, and still being number one on November on you know on November 21st cuz they hadn't lost yet anyways but they they could be the first no preseason number 1 team in the AP poll ever to miss the tournament like that's that's what we're talking about historically when it comes to this team you know we went from could this UNC team be historically good to could this UNC team be historically bad when it comes to relative to other number 1 teams in the preseason and so they were they were number 1 on my list but Clemson Clemson is certainly right there in that conversation for a completely different reason. I had they not done what they did last season, I would have flipped these two. That was part of my thought process is that Hubert Davis has bought himself so much goodwill and this group of players. And the other thing too is they're you know, they got for, themselves for kind of one back month out. long stretch, by the way. For one right, month long stretch. Right. Right. But <laughs> They've done it before. If they can just make the tournament, nobody's going to want to play them. I don't care what seed they are. I don't care how badly they've been playing. Right? You want no part of these guys because they just showed you they can show up for a month with those guards and destroy anybody. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other part of this for me is if they, you know, they're in position to get in right now as long as they don't mess this up. And if they get in, I think there's a there's a good chance that it, you can kind of wash this season away as much as it pains me to say that and as much as I fundamentally disagree with it, I can very much see a world in which they do exactly what they did last season and nobody cares about how bad they've been during the regular season again, right? The The only difference is that they were, like, from January 24th on, they were good last sure. year. Sure, yes, yes, yes. And this team is, yeah, not as good as last year's team. Sure, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And they just don't even, like, they don't pass the eye test. No, no, I have no confidence. I just, we know it's in there, right? Because they pulled it out Mm -hmm. for a month last season. And And you could argue even more. Are we we totally sure it is? Because the best player on that team last year is not there anymore. It's not there, right. And that's the difference. Um, I think it's becoming, I think more than anything, we learned that Brady Manick was the best player on that team last year. Mm -hmm. Even if during that run, maybe it looked like other players at other times. And a guy on that team came back as one of the preseason National Player of the Year contenders in Armando Baycott. But clearly, without Brady Manick, they're a completely different basketball team. But, at least most important. Maybe right. not best, but at least most important. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
at least uh, the guy who unlocks everybody right. else on that team, which I would yep. argue makes you the best player on that team as well. But um, North Carolina is the other is the other team here for me, along yes. with Clemson. <laughs> the Big East. Who's the team under most pressure? Xavier. <laughs> yeah. I. That was. I've just never seen anything quite like what happened in Hinkle Fieldhouse on Friday. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole Xavier losing in the Hinkle Fieldhouse yes. thing. I've seen that one before. Yes. But and how the, they did it. The Butler ruining Xavier's season, potentially. that That's become an annual tradition, it feels mm-hmm. like. Usually not quite this early, but I... Yeah, I mean, Jack Nungy calls a timeout when they don't have one. Then... Jaden Taylor forgets he misses the free throw and sends Sully Boom to the line to tie the game. Sully Boom is like the best three free throw shooter right. in the country, by the way. Right. I think he's at 80. I was actually, I think he's at 84% or something like that. And I was surprised it was that low. Yeah. Well, he made like, he had taken like 20 free throws in the last minute of a game so far this season, made like 19 of 19. 20. Yeah, of right. He's the best clutch free throw Yeah, exactly. He's the, you don't want any part of putting him at the free throw line. And they still can't come away with the win now. To Sean Miller's credit, he said, we didn't deserve to win because they got thoroughly outplayed for most of that game and found a way to get themselves back into it at the end and give themselves a chance with a little bit of help and a little bit of self-destruction. But that's the kind of game that costs you a conference regular season title when you know Marquette is now ahead of you and wins. Uh, Creighton is now right there next to you, and Providence is still hanging around. They just had to lose at St. John's. <sighs> Ed Cooley, I'm, I went to bat for you, buddy. But they're still in the conversation, at least. But you, you just don't have much margin of error because all these teams are, are hanging around. And it was... <laughs> they need to win. If they throw, if they don't find a way to win at least a share of this regular season title, it's mm-hmm. just extremely disappointing because UConn excused themselves for the conversation. Creighton had that rough start. Right? It was there for the taking and you know here's just marquette continuing to just pile up wins and not making mistakes like the ones xavier made and not having the kind of first half that xavier had in that game where you know sean miller was just saying that they just showed up and we didn't that's that's not a good sign so i'm very curious how they're going to respond from this but that was yeah of the ways to lose that's that's up there on the ones you want to avoid (laughs) The reality of the situation is that Xavier, the last, like, basically since Chris Mack left. But, like, I do a lot of of feeling like Xavier just kind of came up short of where I Mm -hmm. thought they'd end up being. Yep. And right now, Xavier's on the cusp of falling short of where I thought they would end up. And it looked like the season was going to be different, right? Right. And and, and listen, they're 19-6, and and on... Some nights they look like the best team in the Big East. and But, like, Marquette and Creighton haven't lost to someone not named UConn or Xavier since December 20th. Yep. And Xavier's lost to DePaul and Butler in their last seven games. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, like, they should be, they should have a, they should be 13-1 and one and have a firm grasp on this conference. You cannot lose to DePaul and Xavier if you fancy winning a Big East regular season title. This This particular season. Can't, unless like, unless you're going to sweep everybody else, pretty much. Right. I mean, right. Of course, there's the caveat that you're, but they're right. they're not going to sweep everybody right. else. Nobody. Right. Yeah. Nobody does. Yeah, unrealistic that. expectation. Right. Right. So, 
it just puts you in like you just can't you can't let it happen. You just you just can't. I mean, Marquette hasn't played hasn't played Butler again yet, but like they they stumbled to a victory at home. I would bet that they play better in the next game. Creighton beat Butler by home at home by 22 and then they turned around and beat Butler by 21 at Hinkle Fieldhouse. So like Butler is bad. Like you can't like if you really want to win the conference, you can't lose to Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse. You just can't this year. And, and 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 like that was the like underwhelming and underperforming relative to expectations was the hallmark of the Travis Steele era. Yep. And I just hope it's not it doesn't continue deep into the Sean Miller era. It's a little bit of an overreaction because it's <clears throat> one loss at Hinkle Fieldhouse, but the fact that the, the the two losses they have in 2023 in the Big East so far, maybe one of them, maybe all three were in the calendar year 2023. Maybe I'm misremembering that. I don't think I'm misremembering. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Sorry. Because they lost to Creighton not all that long ago. But the point being is that you just can't, you can't lose to those two teams while the other teams are winning at the level that they are. Yep. My honorable mention, St. John's. Okay. <laughs> kind of along the coaching lines again. Can they put together some kind of miraculous run here? Because it's the same story. Same idea with the conversation we just had about Xavier. It's the same story. Oh, there's some interesting pieces. That's a pretty talented roster. Oh, they're, you know, well under Still 500. And, right. Well under 500 in Big East play, kind of hanging around the NCAA tournament conversation. You know, maybe they win a game nobody thinks they're supposed to, mm-hmm. and you know, because they do have they do have some quality wins at this point. They're kind of messing with the top of the Big East a little bit, but they're not showing up game to game the way you need to to make make the NCAA tournament. And at some point, mm-hmm. at St. John's, that's just not good enough. And then the other thing I wanted to throw out here in terms of why I went with St. John's to me, UConn's just taken kind of excuse themselves from the pressure conversation. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of are, like, their pressure came and went. Right, exactly. They, they, right, they already folded under the, the pressure of being considered the number one team in the country by most people. So they're just coasting, right? They're going to make the NCAA tournament because their resume is, from a strength of schedule and quality loss standpoint, is ridiculously good. And it's not like they're well, I mean, they're still over 500 in Big East play. They're fine. But... Right, the, the pressures are. I like how you said it. The pressures already come and gone. So I was looking for a different team. So I went St. John's. Yeah, I went with Seton Hall just because it's the only team other yeah. than the teams that are one hundred percent like UConn, Providence, Xavier, Creighton, and Marquette. Like, right, they're going to make the tournament. Mm-hmm. And Seton Hall is right. Seton Hall didn't have a great week. They lost to Creighton and to Villanova. Um, right, losing at Creighton is against Creighton is fine, but you probably would have liked to beat Villanova in this. And honestly, you missed an opportunity to beat Creighton at home. Um, yeah, both of those are. Get, yeah, both of those are bad for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they're the just because they're the only team that's within like a stone's throw of like being in the conversation right. to make the NCAA tournament. Like they're it's the gonna, team. yeah, right. It's gonna be, and they were more firmly on the bubble seven days ago than they were than they are now, um, but. The point being is that that's that's the only team that there's like they're still having conversations about like the season isn't over yet. Like we can mm-hmm. we have a chance to make the tournament here. Like 
there. We can have a, a stretch, win a game or two in the Big East tournament, and and find a way to backdoor into the tournament. And nobody else in this conference is. So from that level of pressure perspective, that's why I went with with Seton Hall. But sure, mm-hmm. but when you look at the conference standings and you kind of go down the list, I mean, right. Apparently George, apparent Patrick Ewing is just not on the hot seat until he decides he doesn't want to be the coach of Georgetown anymore, which of course we can talk in circles right. about that all day. But uh, like, again, the pressure is gone, right? There's nothing right. he can do to add more pressure at this point, <laughs> but everybody else, right. DePaul, Tony Stubblefield's not going anywhere yet. No, at he's Butler, doing fine. It's that, at Butler, it's that Mata. Right. Mike Anderson is probably out the door because the other team, right, is right Villanova and Kyle Neptune, and then you have Seton Hall, which is Shaheen Holloway. So none of these coaches are going anywhere, and in theory, none of these coaches are playing for their jobs at this moment. And unless unless Mike Anderson and, and the Johnnies do something ridiculous and something unprecedented that this team hasn't done yet, um, I would be surprised if if St. John's is looking for a new head coach during the off season. So from that perspective, it's hard to argue with St. John's. Yeah. And to me, this is just be an added bonus. If Seton Hall gets there in year one under Holloway, because you're absolutely right. They are the bubble team in the conference. It just, from a pressure standpoint, I don't feel like it would shift. It would just be almost even just this additional excitement if they, Hey, even with, you know, as he's trying to kind of rebuild this roster guys in guys out as the coaching change happens, still got it, you know, it's just further validation as if it was needed that she can holler that way was the right guy if they make the tournament. Yeah. But I feel very confident in that anyway. So your big 10 team. My big 10 Slash team is teams. Michigan. The Wolverines. Uh, Michigan. I have kind of a theme going for my two big 10 teams here. <laughs> Michigan has missed one NCAA tournament since 2010. Had Indiana in its building and couldn't come away with the win. Four of Michigan's last six games are on the road. Wisconsin, Rutgers, Illinois, and Indiana. You want no part of any of those games. And they need to put a run together to get to the NCAA tournament. This isn't just kind of survival. They need to actually do something at the end of the season here. And, you know, it's Michigan. Maybe they go out and make the Big Ten Tournament Championship and do enough to sort of turn this around. But we've kind of talked about this before, just this idea of there's a lot of frustration, a lot of questions being asked of Juwan Howard at this point. This team is too talented, right? This was kind of, well, who's who's outside of the general consensus that IU was the preseason favorite, right? Who are kind of the other teams getting talked about as potential Big Ten title contenders? And Michigan was one of them. And now it's, will Michigan make the NCAA tournament? And yeah, they've had a lot of NCAA tournament success when they get there. But it's, again, this idea of, Jawan Howard trying to build these teams with the recruiting classes, with the freshmen, it's just not going well. And so to me, from that aspect, there's, I didn't have to think too hard about this one. Yeah. I mean, pressure here for me, was also in the bubble conversation, but Wisconsin is the team that I, that's the honorable mention. Okay. Um, Just kind of this like Penn state, Wisconsin, Michigan, like hosh podge of bubble teams. Um, but Wisconsin, I went with in particular because it has just been, it's been like bad for the better part of two months for, and like, like the reason that Michigan and Wisconsin that I went with Wisconsin over Michigan is because Michigan's still over 500 in big 10 play. Like it's like all of the things you just laid out, they're still eight and six and, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the three best conferences in the country. 
Um, if not the second best conference, I guess probably. Man, that's an interesting question. Who's second after the Big Twelve right now? Is it the Big East? Mm. I was also the thinking SEC. SEC. The yeah. SEC. Um. Anyways, all things considered, and Michigan didn't have a great non-conference, right. which is also part of it. They just didn't really get any of the wins that were against the good yep. teams that they played. Right. Yeah. They lost they, Arizona State. Yeah. They lost to Virginia. They lost Kentucky. And then at the very end of it, they lost to Central Michigan, um, which isn't a great look. Central Michigan, that is now 315th in the country at Kim Pong. They've beaten the list of teams that they've beaten since they've beaten Michigan is Miami of Ohio, Buffalo, Western Michigan, and Miami of Ohio. That's yeah, they got the list. that rivalry win. That's the list. <laughs> they have losses to multiple sub 230 Kim Pong teams. Three of them, actually. And a loss to Eastern Michigan. Did our boy Amani Bates just go off in that game? Was that, was that the game where he, he scored? He had 26 points on 8 of oh, 11, okay. on, on 10 of 20 shooting. There you go. And anyways, um, but like ultimately for Michigan, like has, has Big Ten play gone as well as you might have wanted it to? Probably not. And specifically since they started 3-0, and they're 5-8 and in conference, so that's also part of the conversation is that it's gotten progressively worse in a lot of ways. And every time they have a chance to get a good win, they almost get there. I think that's part of it too, mm-hmm. that a lot of what Michigan has done is close. Yep. Like they've lost, they lost to Purdue and IU by a total of six points. And we're right there against Virginia as well. Right. Mm-hmm. By a total of six points and both at home, both very winnable games and they were up like relatively big on on Indiana, right? They're up by they're up by like ten with like ten minutes left in the first half. Anyways, they off got off to a like a, a solid start and then kind of scored eight minutes, eight points in the last you know ten minutes of the game and went like several minutes at the very end without scoring. Um, for Wisconsin, on the other side of this, Wisconsin was kind of that team that the metrics were like, dude, this team isn't very good, but they were like 11 and 2. Yep. Um, right, you know, after their first game in 2023, um, they beat Marquette, they beat USC, they beat, um, I guess, I guess Marquette is the right, they had this Marquette win on the road. And now they're 6 and 8 in conference. They just lost to Nebraska. Um, which is not a, something you want to do. Um, and they've just kind of been on, like they're right there in the bubble conversation. Penn State was going to be more in this conversation for me, but Penn State is in this free fall for all and free free fall, not free for all. That's a different thing. Free fall. <laughs> and, and has kind of excused themselves from the conversation, at least for the time being. But Wisconsin is still very much in that first four out, last four in kind of conversation at this point and the, the the Nebraska loss on Saturday has them going the opposite direction. So kind of for the, you know, the, the, the I, I gravitated towards the, the bubble teams when it came to the big 10. Wisconsin has one missed tournament since 1998. I'm excluding the COVID year, of course. Gotcha. 1998. Tony Bennett's dad was the coach at that point. That's impressive. Yeah, right? Because no matter what happens, they just kind of find a way to get in there or that you look up and they're competing for a Big Ten regular season championship, right? Mm. The entire Bo Ryan era, Greg Gards continued it. And Wisconsin's situation is interesting for the reasons you laid out and looking at their schedule. Okay, four of your last six are at home. 
Michigan, Rutgers, Iowa, Purdue. Mm-hmm. You've got the opportunity in your building to turn this around. You could also very easily lose three of those four games, and then you're not going to the NCAA tournament. And then you also have a visit to Minnesota, a game you should win. But when you just lost to Nebraska, all bets are off. Right. Right. It is there for the taking. This could also continue to spiral because there just aren't very many gimmies in the Big Ten. So, yeah, the, these two teams are kind of in the same position, got to got to it in a different way. But what are you going to do with your last six games? You've got the opportunities in front of you. Are you mm-hmm. going to take the pressure off of yourself or add more pressure by not getting the results? Exactly. The other like thing I the other like little thing, a little tidbit is that like Indiana needs to just like separate themselves from the rest of this conference as the second best team in the in the Big 10 the last month here. Like cuz I think we would agree that those that Purdue and Indiana are the best teams in the in the Big 10 at least right now it seems that way. Yeah, um, yeah, nobody else is really like Northwestern to that conversation, like, but like Northwestern, like the point I'm getting here right now is Northwestern is also nine and five in the big 10 mm-hmm. and tied for second in the conference right now. Yep. So like if like an Indiana has been on this run and just like continue it, just like assert yourself as, you know, and end up, you know, maybe, you know, instead of, you know, Purdue is 12 and three right now. So there's a chance that you could be, you know, I think Indiana plays tomorrow, maybe. Um, it's Wednesday. They play. They play Northwestern on Wednesday on the road. Like, like win that game. You're only a couple games behind Purdue, and just kind of assert yourself. Now you're a full game ahead of Northwestern. Um, like Indiana does a lot of fancying themselves as like contending to be the best team in the Big Ten. Like you can't do that if you don't separate yourself from the rest of the pack as the second best team before you try to go after Purdue. So, um, just a little tidbit there. Like, because I feel like it, based on the last couple weeks of performance from IU, you would think they're kind of they kind of have a stranglehold on second in this conference. Part of that's because their start, mm-hmm. you know, they started so poorly in, in yep. conference play. But like, just just keep it moving forward because I think they're the second best team in this conference. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Just just let's let's show that down the stretch because a lot of what Indiana has done the last few years is really start to fade down the stretch. And they did it last year as well. So don't do that this year. And just kind of take a, a firm hold on on your, your spot in this conference. The Big 12. Yeah, this was an interesting one. I said Texas. Okay. Just because, well, there are two parts. One, I mean, this is yours to lose. <laughs> you saw teams start falling this weekend to teams they shouldn't be losing to. And if they fancy themselves to actually win this conference. Mm-hmm. Here comes <laughs> and so all of a sudden the the interesting part of this for me is look who's now chasing Texas. It's not Iowa State and Kansas State. It's the, it's Baylor the last Bayers. two. It's the last two teams yeah. to win a national championship. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> two teams that know how to win Big Twelve regular season titles. It's a different kind of pressure when it's Kansas and Baylor that are you're looking down at at the standings and that are looking up at you as kind of the the team they need to go get next. And we've talked about the tough end to the schedule, right? They're going to play most of the best teams in this conference at the end, but they are in control. Teams are going to lose games because this conference is just brutal. I mean, look at what Texas tech is doing. Texas tech is messing this thing up and Texas tech couldn't beat a good team for the first, you know, two thirds of the season. 
and Oklahoma destroyed Alabama and Oklahoma can't win conference games. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more losses all around, but Texas has found a way to survive. They've been the most consistent team in the conference. And the other part of this for me is if they win this thing and get to the sweet 16 elite eight, how do you not keep Rodney Terry as your coach? If he wins this big 12 and then doesn't, you know, flame out in the NCAA tournament. I mean, the answer is two words. Do you know John what those Calipari? two words are? That's correct. If John Calipari wants to come be your coach, you probably have to let John Calipari come be your coach. Yeah, we'll we'll have that conversation if we need to. I mean, I'm not sure. I'd do, I, like, yes, like, you're I, probably I'm happy right. to entertain the conversation about yes. why you could yeah. make the opposite decision. You're probably right. But if you're the Texas athletic director, like you're like yeah. that's the answer to the question. That's how, yeah. and I because I saw somebody else talking about this on Twitter. Uh, the I think it might have even been. I think it might have been Goodman. I think it might have been Jeff Goodman. Mm-hmm. It could have been somebody else. But the short answer to that question is because if John Calipari wants to be your head coach, right. John Calipari, like John Calipari still is an elite recruiter. Yeah. So like John Calipari, like regardless of how we feel, and I'm and I'm at the top of the list of the people who don't think that John Calipari is that good of a basketball coach anymore. Yeah. That he's just a incredible basketball recruiter. Um but still like he's he recruits the the level of talent i mean look at his recruiting class in mm-hmm. kentucky next year right which is part of why i don't think which is why i think if it's not going to be calipari that who else would you like at that point then it's then how do you go with somebody else at that point if unless it's not if it's not calipari yeah unless there's somebody i'm like not thinking of that's kind of in a position to but like you're not going to go out of your way to get like a young, like kind of stud, right. Shaka Smart type hire instead right. of the guy who just brought took your team to the Sweet Sixteen. Right. Yeah, th- there are certain names that Rodney Terry just can't control. Right. Right. I mean, if if Jay Wright decides he wants, I don't think this is going to happen. But if Jay Wright decides he wants to come back, right, right. he's going to get. Yeah, John Calipari probably falls in that category too. But there are you know five people maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. All you can do if you're Rodney Terry is make it clear that you are the best outside of the can't turn down the opportunity to hire this guy options. And if they win that, right. If they win this conference and he gets the better of Bill self and Scott drew, and then they just do what they're supposed to. That's the, uh, because there's not, I mean, it's not that there's a lot of pressure on Texas. There's just not a lot of pressure on any team in this conference for me. So I was kind of looking for a reason to sort of generate it. And that's what I came up with. Texas is my, is the answer to this for me as well because i think texas is kind of getting this buzz at this point like i've seen a lot of recently of man texas has has impressed me more than just about any other team in the country the last month or so like there's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that going around right now and also in a conference where there isn't a ton of team like it's either a bunch of teams that just don't have that much pressure on them or it seems like oklahoma and texas tech that are just two and ten and the season's kind of out of reach right you you're at the top of the conference with three weeks left. So like, I think just inherently like you're the team in the driver's seat mm-hmm. and so you just have some pressure and they get Texas tech and Oklahoma in their next two games, right? They end with Iowa state, Baylor, TCU and Kansas, but like there's a real world in which they are sitting there on, you know, a week from now and they're 11 and three in this conference. Right. And, you know, go two and two in those last four and find a way to, you know, and, and win the, and win the big 12. But that's kind of, cause you're right. There isn't, 
like right there are teams in the conversation in the bubble area but like really this is about just how and like tcu has fallen a little bit but that's more because of their health than anything else Mm -hmm. um so i just went with texas more than anything because that's the team that is winning this conference right now i'll you know nine and three and so by definition teams have to beat them right now but um in a conference that this is this stacked um that that comes with with some pressure and there's some rising expectations i think we kind of started at one place with texas and kind of came back down to earth a little bit with texas Mm -hmm. and we're kind of back on this trajectory about like picking texas in our trendy you know final four picks as we're and you know getting close to march and and that kind of thing yeah which is a credit to those players and to mm-hmm. that coaching staff right 100 mm-hmm. my my honorable mention is oklahoma state because of the bubble conversation yeah and specifically because all they have to do is not blow it they did the hard part they have you know they've got two wins over iowa state to sort of anchor the the resume they still have to play kansas tcu west virginia kansas state baylor but if you can just win some of those games, you know, take care of business at home, they have they have given themselves a cushion because they've done a really good job in Big 12 play of, the, you know, no bad losses, beating the teams they're supposed to, picking up a couple wins here or there, even if they don't have the best wins in the country. It's not that there's a lot of pressure here, but again, just looking for – just don't mess it up. <laughs> Because it'd be really disappointing to have gotten this far and to not be able to finish the deal and get to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I went with TCU just because, like, like, of course it's not your fault that Mike Miles is hurt, but also, like, you can't just lose eight games, like eight of your last ten. You just can't do mm-hmm. that. If for no other reason other than you don't want to play a two seed in the first in the second round just because you ended up as a seven seed, you know, like that kind of mm-hmm. thing. They haven't beaten a team not like they haven't beaten they beat Kansas on January twenty first. The only wins since then are Oklahoma and West Virginia. And inside of there they have losses to Mississippi State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Baylor, right? Three of those three of those four were on the road. So like it's not like the sky is falling, but you also like, like at some point, regardless of if Mike Miles is there or not, like you got to win a respectable amount of games coming down the stretch. Because right, they're they're going to make the tournament, but also like if they lose their last six, like like things could get a little dicey, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like if they're seventeen and eight right now, so it's not like they have all of the room in the world to work with. Like seventeen and fourteen, like we're having a really sketchy, scary conversation at that point. But I don't think we're going to get there. Yeah. But like we've done a lot of just people in general, but also on this podcast of TCU's just hurt. Right. Well, like at some point you've got to, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. You have to win, but some basketball games. Yeah. And, and especially if they lose, you know, they get Oklahoma state on the, you know, on, at home on Saturday, they do play Iowa state this week. So like things aren't going to get that much easier. And, you do get Oklahoma state, Texas tech and Oklahoma in your last six. So like in terms of like, like that's about as easy as a six game stretch you can get to have those three teams in it. Mm -hmm. So like, it'll probably be okay, but at some point we have to stop the, 
while they're just injured. And like, you got to find a way to win a couple games just because you like, you, you need to do that. And they're only six and six in conference. So it's not like we're playing with unbelievable amounts of house money. And especially when it comes to seed conversations, winning a couple, some games down the stretch would, would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> it's never fun to be this team, but they are going to be right up there on the list of teams that show up in a bracket that nobody wants any part of because they're going to be way underseeded because they've been injured and have been so bad while injured. Yeah. Right. All righty. Pack 12. Who you got? The Fighting Bobby Hurleys. The Fighting Bobby Hurleys. Colorado, Utah come to town before they finish with road games against Arizona, UCLA, and USC. They need wins. And those are going to have to come on the road. <laughs> and you can't afford to drop home games. This is, you know, again, in a conference where this was kind of the, the coach under the most pressure to start the season. I mean, you also have the Cal situation, but I'm I'm just not going there. In mm-hmm. terms of NCAA tournament hopefuls, right? This was kind of the coach under the most pressure, and they started so well, and now it's all kind of falling apart in Pac-12 play. If it's a different conversation, if they somehow you know win four of these five and beat two of the three or four best teams in their conference on the road here, I'm just you know don't exactly hold my breath that that's what's going to happen. And at some point, continuing to miss out on the NCAA tournament isn't good enough. So this one wasn't too hard for me. Yeah, I think this is like the this is one of those conferences that I just kind of had two teams in conversation because the other team here for me is Oregon. Oregon, that's my honorable mention. <laughs> but like Dana Altman's not in trouble and in, in jeopardy of losing his job. Yep. Now, granted, I think there's an interesting conversation about how much how many more years Dana Altman gets to be uninspiring. Also, sure. I apologize if you can hear my the garbage truck outside my window. I apologize. If you can't, fantastic. Shouts to the microphone here. Um, but, right, Dan Altman, 20 and 15 last year, a team that was, I don't think anybody was expecting to be great, but was also, I believe it was a top 25 team, right? That was one of the, like, what in the world is going on with Oregon at the beginning of last year? And then they had that crazy loss to, oh, yeah. who was it? Hold on. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going State? back. I'm going. No, it was. I I thought it was a, I thought it was a non-conference game that they lost by like forty. That they got like doubled up. Oh yeah. Hold on. Let me look. I'm getting there. <laughs> they lost to yeah. It was Houston. They lost to Houston right. seventy-eight to forty-nine. Right. That's right. On mm-hmm. like on like the day before Thanksgiving, they just got absolutely. And then they started conference play with two straight losses to Arizona State and Stanford, and kind of those two games that they that you play before the conference schedule really gets underway um anyways so i think there's an interesting conversation about like okay dana like this is a couple years in a row like are you just bad without peyton pritchard <laughs> like it was there just kind of like this stretch that you went on and like quietly you know after the after the final four year um there were two straight years with 13 losses and then it got a little bit better. It got better when Peyton Pritchard kind of became like one of the best guards in the country. And now here we are, they're 15 and 11. So there's a conversation to be had there. And certainly they're in the conversation of like on the, in the bubble conversation, like, you know, that kind of thing. But 
you're right. Like Bobby Hurley, the fighting Bobby Hurley's is right. We we need to win some games coming down the stretch here. And with what I just said about TCU and getting a three, a six game stretch with three teams, like about as difficult of a five game stretch as you can get in the conference right now in the Pac-12 is to play Colorado, Utah, Arizona, UCLA, and USC mm-hmm. in in the same stretch. I mean, those are the UCLA, UCLA, Arizona, Utah, USC, Oregon are the five teams ahead of Arizona State in conference play right now. And they're going to play three of those teams in the last five games of the season. So um, got some work to do, got some opportunities, but got some work to do. Yeah, And from Oregon – the reason I put Oregon behind Arizona State and didn't think too hard about it was not only Dana Altman, but the NCAA tournament spot is there for them now. They have done the they have dug themselves out of the hole that they built for themselves. Mm. They just need to win enough games and do what they're supposed to the rest of the way. They have they have turned this around right. There's a different conversation we had about is this good enough moving forward? But they are in position to rescue the season as long as they take care of business the rest of the way. The only thing that makes me a little nervous is that they like for them to really feel like good, they should probably go undefeated the rest of the way. Like you get Washington, Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. That's right. their last five games. They they don't have any quality losses in that stretch. And they don't have very many quality wins on their resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. They have a USC win and the Arizona win in the middle of January is really the one they're hanging their hat on. But other than that, I mean, you're talking about Utah being your third best win. And, and from a Ken Palm perspective, Utah is a better win than USC. So there's not a ton of, like, you can't go three and two. In these. You can't stumble right. to three and two in your last five. Right. You should probably win all five of them. And three of those five games are on the road. So, the, the you know, like you said, there's a pathway, a pretty clear one. But also, there's also a pathway, a pretty clear one, to how they don't find their way into mm-hmm. the tournament. Yep. But the fighting Bobby Hurley's remember like there was too much going on in the, in non-conference for one of the biggest stories in the country to be, Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> like UConn and Arizona state couldn't play without it, us talking about how good the Hurley brothers were. I was like, we have seen Bobby Hurley start the season. Well, a gajillion times, <laughs> like, like it's unfortunate because like they've been, about as consistent as I've ever seen an Arizona State team be, right? In in terms of not falling off a cliff. I mean, they were 15 and 3 a month ago. And now it's been, you know, losing to Washington and Washington State in back-to-back games. Like that's the type of thing I'm expecting from the fighting Bobby Hurleys. But um But yeah. Oh my god, Bob and Dan doing the thing. Okay. Perfect. Um but those are the two teams I had in there as well, um, being Oregon and the Fighting Bobby Hurleys, as they will as they will henceforth be no, be known as. Um, okay, wrapping up with the SEC, who you got? Kentucky. <laughs> Shocking! Didn't see that one coming at all. Are you sure it's not Alabama? Trivia time. Who's second in this conference? Texas A and M. Isn't that crazy? You know what's even crazier is that they are two games clear of third. It's not yep. even close. No. Alabama. I think Alabama is one of three teams in the country left that is undefeated in the conference play. I saw like one of those college basketball imperialism maps. I'll see mm-hmm. if I can try to find it. Uh, who the other, I think it was three teams. I'll see if I can find who the, who the other two were, but 
Um, I'm shocked it's not Kentucky, who should probably be the number one team in the AP poll, right? On this Monday? Houston? Maybe it's Houston. I don't know. I think it's I've been way be more impressed. I've been way more impressed by Alabama than Houston. I but... agree. <laughs> yeah. This this is not close. We talked about the bubble conversation. And also this is just two irrelevant seasons in three years and a first round exit at the hand of St. Peter's. Even if they do get in, unless they find a way to, you know, make a run. But at some point, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this extensively. There's nothing really new to say other than they've dug themselves back into a hole after climbing out of the first one. It's it's getting to be a real interesting conversation that we don't have time for today. <laughs> so assuming that... And I don't know off the top of my head. I have to go look. But Alabama joins Oral Roberts and Eastern Washington as the only other teams that are undefeated in conference play. Now, let me let me look. Eastern Washington, 13-0 in the big sky. The nation's longest active winning streak. Put some respect on their names. <laughs> Also, Alabama had a weird Oklahoma. Like, like you look at Alabama's Kempom, but it's like, all right, they are undefeated in SEC play, and then they just got absolutely mollywopped in Norman, <laughs> right in the middle of it. Yep. And then Oral Roberts. Shouts to Oral Roberts. I learned yesterday that uh, doing the thing, as always, per usual, they are 14-0 and have the second longest active winning streak. Um. They had a – it would be 14-game winning streak if they didn't play a non-conference game against New Mexico on January 9th. I learned yesterday Josh's favorite artist went to Oral Roberts. I did That's not correct. know that until yesterday. Um, <laughs> anywho, these are the things that people don't care about. But, yes. Um, <laughs> I Kentucky care about is, it. I appreciate it. Kentucky is the – Kentucky is the answer to this question. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my honorable mention for is all of the reasons oh, that we for right. all of the reasons that we that that you just laid out. Yeah, my honorable mention is Tennessee for what you laid out and losers. I mean, mm. and what you did right two games behind Texas A and M, dropping seed lines, just because there's there's not a lot of other obvious spots. There's not really anybody putting. I mean, had Alabama lost to Auburn. I thought about, well, there's just no reason they shouldn't win this conference, and all of a sudden it gets a little interesting, but they beat Auburn, so Nate Oates is doing just fine. Who's your honorable mention? <laughs> um, like I, I think I guess it's Tennessee. I don't really know. Part of me wants it to be Arkansas, but also this is kind of like this is a like like Arkansas needs to win some games. They're kind of in this TCU. Mm-hmm. conversation as well yep this like okay like and they've done a little bit better of a job as of late right they have one sec loss since and it was this saturday since january 18th right they played baylor in the sec big 12 challenge and lost that one but other than that they've done a decent like this has been a, a pretty nice stretch in terms of ease of schedule, right? It's Mississippi, LSU, Texas A&M, South Carolina. Then they get the the Kentucky win at Rupp, and then they lose at home to to Mississippi State on Saturday. And like you get another th- another week and a half or so of of easy game, another twelve days that you go playing Texas A&M, Florida at home, and Georgia at home, 
until you end the season with Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. So and Nick Smith the, is back. Right, and that was the last thing I was going to say. Um, is that so you've got a little bit of time and theory to get him kind of back into the swing mm-hmm. of things and knock some rust off before you you have this this really tough stretch at the end of the season. But so Arkansas is kind of in that conversation. I feel like Tennessee, you might have to default Tennessee after what happened the last week. And like that's the team, that's the team in the SEC that needs to prove to people why anybody should have any faith in them in the tournament. Like Tennessee is going to be a trend, like especially if they fall off the two line. Like if they if they play like a, you know, if they they'll be the like if they fall to the, to the three line and they like get a team that is like a really good three point shooting team as the fourteen seed or something like that. Like there might be a trend, whether it's in the first or second round. There's going to be some trendy like Tennessee upset stuff. Um, like especially if they fall to three. So we'll see what happens there. But that's the team in the SEC that is firmly in the tournament that people are rapidly losing faith in by the day. Most and approved, so from that definitely. sense, so in that sense, they've they've got some some pressure on them for sure. There you go. There it is. You got anything else? The other thing I wanted to say: Did you see what Matt Villanova's Maddie Seagrass did? No, I did know that she is the nation's leading scorer, though. Yeah, points per game because yes, because Caitlin Clark and company came to Bloomington to for a top five matchup, and mm-hmm. I w- had assumed that Caitlin Clark was the was the leading scorer in the country. She is second in the country in that category, and, and she's even farther behind after this weekend. So, talk um, to me. Villanova played Seton Hall. <laughs> Maddie Seagrass scored fifty points. Okay, Maddie Seagrass <laughs> scored fifty points on twenty of twenty six shooting. Oh my lord. Maddie Seagrass scored 50 points on 20 of 26 shooting with no turnovers or personal fouls. Interesting. In, in a 99-65 win, she almost outscored Seton Hall by herself, in which she broke the Big East career scoring record that had been in existence since 1993. How about that? 20 about of 26. 20. I mean, decent. <laughs> decent. Not sure why you're you're all up in arms about it, but that's okay. <laughs> if you're wondering 20, why Caitlin, that's in, that's crazy. If you're wondering why Caitlin Clark isn't the nation's leading scorer, there you have it. <laughs> Caitlin Clark's kind of ridiculous. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like like she's so disrespectful; it's unbelievable. <laughs> like like some of the shots, it's like oh my gosh! Like 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 you're you're in assembly hall. You're not playing pickup at the Y. Shouts to IU, though, winning that game. Mm-hmm. They didn't exactly stop Caitlin Clark, though. She finished like no. 33 and 10, yeah. or something like that. But yeah. shouts to Maddie Seekers. So South to Big East Women's Hoops. Yeah. 20 of 26. That's a good way to end the pod. Love that. 20 of 26. Jeez Louise. That's impressive. Um, not a ton, I don't think, on the... Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't looked yet. Let's look together. <laughs> I was right. There's not a ton this evening in the college basketball world. Miami is at North, North Carolina. Yep. That's probably, you know, considering the content of the podcast, we've we've already identified North Carolina as a team under some pressure. And North Carolina is a bubble team. They just are. And winning a game at home against Miami would be, would be incredibly helpful. Um, on a Tuesday, you get Creighton and Providence. That's a top 25 matchup in the Big East. 
that's about all she wrote. Kansas State is at Oklahoma. Kansas is at Oklahoma State. So that's, you know, interesting to a certain extent. Suppose not the the latter, the former of those two. But Kansas at Oklahoma State always seems to deliver good basketball games. Wednesday, Wednesday's the, 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 the midweek gauntlet. You ready for this? <laughs> Three games between two games between top 25 teams, three games, excuse me, and then another game against Indiana and Northwestern in in Evanston. Um, Alabama is at Tennessee at 7 o'clock, as is Xavier at Marquette. Can we talk about Can we talk about this for a second? I need you to explain to me why number 13 Xavier at number 10 Marquette is on CBS Sports Network and not Fox Sports 1. What is so- happening? What is happening on Wednesday night? Is it? A, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to find out and report back on Thursday. I don't know. Let me switch to Big Ten because the only thing I can think I was of say, is, is it's Big, Big Ten. Ten game. No, there's only two games that night, and both of them are on Big Ten Network. Hmm. We might have to. Come, I might have to come to the pod on Thursday with an explanation. For that. <laughs> I'm curious because, like, like uh, we've been having this conversation all year about how the Big Twelve, like great Big Twelve games, end up on like ESPN, U and ESPN Watch and. Mm-hmm. but there's clearly like some like whatever deal they struck with ESPN there's clearly some like you're going to put some of your good games on ESPN plus so people yes. have a reason to buy ESPN right. plus right. and there's some like it's being branded as Big 12 slash ESPN Big plus, 12 now like, or whatever it's called right. yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly so that that has an explanation right like TCU at Iowa State on Wednesday night is on ESPNU at 9 o'clock I think they're just trying to see how few people they can get to watch a top 25 <laughs> college basketball game they're going to do a pretty good job um, but that one, that one, I don't have an, uh, there's not an obvious explanation for. Maybe I'll just look at the guy and there'll be an obvious, obvious explanation. Yeah. Anyways, we're so there some some investigating. There's some good games. We'll find something to talk about on Thursday. Oh, but, yeah. Um, that is all we have for you today. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, Twitter, TikTok. Um, if you missed last week's Thursday pod, we chatted with Luke Lazarczyk from, uh, from Kansas State, the Kansas State Collegian, talking about K-State, Jerome Tang, all of those fun things. So if you missed that conversation, you can find it on our podcast feed on YouTube, those fun things. But um, we'll be back on Thursday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.